A Tale of Twins, Chapter One, The Beginning and the End. I will start my tale of twins with an introduction. I am Edmund, and my twin brother is Oliver. Our parents, Henry and Patricia, Henry and Patricia Noble, a fancy name for a not particularly fancy family. My parents were tailors. They had a small shop on a small street in a small area of Macburg. We couldn't afford a place on the main high street, so they settled for a smaller one, more affordable one, about a hundred paces from the bustle and busyness of the main square. They took enormous pride in their work, and from a young age, my brother and I had been taught the skills of sewing, measuring, and <clears throat> customer relations. My parents had developed quite a reputation for detail and design. Their clothes were practical and comfortable, but always had some some extra little detail, a small embroidered rose or slightly altered stitching, something to make them stand out from the rest of the tailors in the city. Our customers seemed to be mainly what I guess you would call the, the middle classes. We didn't get the very rich, but we certainly didn't get the very poor either. Usually other tradespeople, carpenters, boat builders, etc. We, we catered for all shapes and sizes, gnomes, humans, giants. Once I even saw a rather odd-looking goblin come in. Well, I have to say, the most amazing sight I ever saw walk in was a giant of a man with a fabulous tri-cornered hat, declaring himself the wonder of the seas as he entered. I liked him. He was polite to us boys and quickly saw our family skills for what they were. He respected our talents and our judgment. He left with a long purple coat stretching right down to his ankles. I, I digress. Oliver, <clears throat> my brother, was always better at reading people than I was. He could tell within a glance what their preferred style was, what his angle of approach should be, and how best to lure them towards spending. Even by the age of 15, he had become an expert at talking to customers. It was almost a guarantee that when a customer walked in and Oliver served them, not only would they buy something, but would also invariably buy something additional which they hadn't intended upon entry. An extra bag, hat, gloves, or jacket, and so forth. It was quite a sight to behold the way he could talk even the most intelligent people round us spending more money. It made me chuckle when we saw them walk happily out of the shop with their purchases, having spent twice or three times what they had originally declared as their budget. I, on the other hand, although not terrible with customers, was more comfortable working with my hands. My fingers had the dexterity and coordination of a great musician. I learnt to create the best patterns and with the most accurate, most accurate measurements. My mother even stopped checking my garments for, ever, for errors within a few years. Things had been going very well for us as a family. We worked well together, customers were happy. And whilst we were both doing well learning the family trade, we also did very well in school, achieving highly in both literacy and mathematics. All seemed to be well in our little household. Then, on the night of our 18th birthday, tragedy. We woke to the smell of burning and our parents were nowhere to be seen. The smoke curling under our bedroom door was black and stank of tar. Luckily, our window opened both easily and looked directly over the awning of the shop next door. We had to act quickly. There was no time to call out 
or investigate where our parents were. Within moments of waking, we could not only see the smoke now billowing under the door, but could also feel the heat of the fire. I got to the window first, frantically urging my brother over. The heat coming from the hall outside our bedroom was tremendous now. I pulled the window open so hard I flung off its hinges and shattered on the floor across the room. Oliver, ever practical, had grabbed the bundles of clothes and shoes at the bottom of our beds, then ran to join me at the window. We looked out into the darkness and just about saw the bright colours of the grocer's awning. We jumped. Hand in hand, we jumped for our lives. Oliver and I escaped with only minor injuries, but the shop did not survive. And as far as we knew at that time, neither had our parents. We picked ourselves up, bruised and battered off the street. And as we looked up at our burning house, our lives disappearing up in smoke, with a horrible irony, it began to rain. We spent the next five years living in and out of various establishments, applying our trade wherever we could sometimes taking on part-time work in well-known tailors around town. Grimblesnack was always a good time of year for us. People celebrating and spending more money meant the opportunity for income. But it got harder and harder. Eventually, we were on the street, doing the best we could to survive day in, day out. Although tailoring work helped at times, we inevitably turned to shadier practices to keep ourselves fed and shelters. Nothing too low and deprived, you must understand. We had a line which we never crossed. One unwritten rule we both abided by at all times. No one dies, not ever, under any circumstances, neither ourselves or those we were taking advantage of. The odd bruise, the odd cut, and the odd bit of petty theft, yes, no murdering. Neither of us were fighters, and we certainly weren't killers. Though we had to learn quickly how to defend ourselves in the rougher parts of the city, it was tough. We had each other, but it was tough. The inseparable bond we'd always shared as twins from the day we were born kept us both going through those dark and difficult times. Some days were worse than others. It was on one such day in early spring that the rest of our story begins. My head hurt. The unnecessary and unpleasant knock above my right ear was starting to ache. The kind of dull pain that won't go away no matter what you take for it. <clears throat> the gentleman sat opposite us was clearly well versed in dishing out that kind of treatment. I didn't know who he was yet, as rather rudely he had failed to introduce himself before he knocked my brother and myself unconscious. Oliver sat next to me. I could see the nasty lump on the back of his head. It throbbed an angry, reddy-purple colour. We exchanged uneasy glances as the man poured himself a drink from a dirty-looking flask into an even dirtier-looking metal cup. I had the distinct feeling that that may have been that exact cup which had hit me. I gave a quick glance around the room. Habit made me look for areas of weakness, possible exits, loose floorboards, windows, grates, that sort of thing. Funnily enough, the room was full of them. The door behind the man, although closed, creaked on its hinges in a way that only a badly maintained door does. 
I could surmise from the noise that it was unlikely to be properly locked. Clearly the man didn't think we had either the strength or skill to get past him. An overconfidence that could, could cost him. Continuing my scan of the small room, I clocked a couple of other signs of interest. The window to my right, which in spite of the grime was letting in significant light, suggesting it was pointing east towards the sea. This theory was further bolstered by the slight hint of salt and brine wafting through the cracks in the glass. It was difficult to tell at this point how high up we were. I couldn't see any other buildings or even chimneys from where I sat. Though the clean, well-maintained floorboard suggested we were at least on the first floor. This could mean that we were simply looking out to sea from a building directly on the coast. Or, rather worryingly, we were much higher up. I dismissed the window as a good exit route. I didn't fancy diving through it to find that certain death lay there three storeys down on a cobbled street. <laughs> the last point of interest was behind me. Although I didn't dare turn at this point, I could feel a draught on the back of my heels, a cool wind which could only mean another possible escape. If the air gently brushing the back of my legs had been warmer, this could have been a vent to the kitchen or stove. But the air was definitely cool. It was spring outside, so although it wasn't cold, the air had yet to turn to the pleasant warmth of summer. Having analysed the three possibilities, the door was still the most viable. I took in the rest of the room. The walls were bare white. No paintings or decorations to speak of. The only source of light was the small window, and the neat floorboards seemed to juxtapose the grime on the window and the creaking door. Strange, I thought. I looked across at my brother. He knew the plan as I did. We had our roles. I checked the room. He checks the occupants. So just as I had been analysing exits, weak points, possible signs of danger, he had been doing the same to the man opposite. We looked at each other. As our eyes met, ready to give the signal, the man finally spoke. I had expected his voice to be gruff and unforgiving. His lined face, short grey beard and heavy coat did not fit his tone spoke with a gentle, almost almost fatherly tone, a voice much younger than his parents would suggest. I was shocked, stunned in fact. I realised I recognised that voice. Although years in the past, I recognised it. Well, boys, this is unexpected, isn't it? 